So do you know somebody who's clumsy? Yeah, I, I know you know somebody that's clumsy. You know, that, that person that, you know, they, they feel like the, the really smooth, flat surfaces at the mall are sad. So, so they will drop down every now and then and give, and give them a hug. You know, the kind of person that has a, a random scientific gravity research method as they're walking upstairs, you know, or, or riding, you know, up an escalator. The kind of person that pretty much on a regular basis calls door frames and chairs bullies. The kind of person that annually spills more milk than they actually drink, you know. Or maybe from a whole another angle, I read somewhere where a young lady said that she would probably be the kind of lady that on her wedding day, right before the ceremony, she would eat a, a bag of Doritos and then wipe her hands on her wedding dress. You know, a little bit clumsy there. A little bit awkward. Clumsy, awkward, uncoordinated, cumbersome, lacking elegance, lacking fingers other than thumbs. You know, we know folks like this, right? People who spend their life kind of falling off things and falling on things. So is there any help for people who are a little bit clumsy? Dr. Charles Swanick is the collegiate director over the areas of biomechanics and movement science at the University of Delaware. A report out this week from him notes that stress actually can make us clumsy. That an increase of stress in our life could, could actually literally physically throw us off balance and cause some clumsiness in our life. Now, Dr. Schwanick said that, that a little bit of stress is good because it actually helps us focus, you know, gives us a little more intensity. He says, but too much stress can cause us problems. He actually says that it can mess up our balance. He even says that it can mess up our ability to process things and even affect our peripheral vision. Too much stress can actually cause us not to see what's going on. He says this, You may overfocus on whatever is stressing you out and avoid seeing potential danger. So, it's January 1st, brand new year. Are you already overfocused? Are you overfocusing on something even today? Are you already stressed out about a ton of stuff already on this Sunday morning as the new year starts? Or are you under-focused? Are you not really stressing out about anything because, you know, you're just kind of laid back and cool, man. You, you, you're not worried about anything. Everything's fine. But are you laid back and cool and not stressed out about anything because mostly you're just going through the motions of life? I mean, you're, you're ignoring the, the reason, the purpose that you even exist on earth, and, and you're just going through the motions trying to get you a plate of mac and cheese and a TV remote in your hand as quick as you can at the end of the day. You're just going through the motions. Well, if you overfocus, it can create stress that can cause you to stumble. And if you underfocus, it can create apathy that can also cause you to stumble. So, how do we make sure that we don't stumble in to this new year? Well, one day Jesus was talking to a huge crowd of people, probably more than 3,000 people. And in a moment, he stopped talking to the big crowd and he focused in just on his closest followers, his closest friends. 
And what he said to them was geared to help them not stumble, to keep them from stumbling. But it wasn't just something for them. It was something for me, and it was something for you, something that would help us not stumble, something to keep us from stumbling. So what did Jesus say? Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 12, we'll be looking at verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. So Jesus begins by saying, for what reason? For this reason. So in other words, he had just been talking about something, and now he's following up on that conversation. So what was he talking about? Well, Jesus was telling a story about a rich businessman. A rich businessman who had huge warehouses full of all the stuff that he owned, that he was distributing, and that he was selling. A rich businessman that had a huge bank with tons of money in it. And of all that this man had, of all the riches that he had in this world, he wasn't rich toward God. And so in the story that Jesus tells, suddenly this rich man finds out that now the day has come for him to die. And when he died, he was going to be as poor as the poorest homeless man living under a bridge, under an interstate. That's the for this reason. That, that's the background. Jesus says if, if you're not rich toward God, it's not good. You can be rich in the things of the world, but if you're not rich toward God, it's not true. And so for this reason, because of that story that I just told you, Jesus now turns to his friends and he says, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't stress out. Now, these people that he's talking to, they had just quit their jobs. <laughs> they had just left their careers. They had left everything about normal life to follow Jesus. And so maybe somewhere in the back of their mind, they're thinking, man, I, I sure hope I can pay my bills. <laughs> I hope I can have some money to put food on the table. I wonder if this is going to affect my retirement any. You ever have any questions like that? Any of those things ever in the back of your mind? So Jesus turns to them and he says, do not worry. Don't worry about what restaurant you're going to eat at after church. Don't worry about what outfit you're going to wear to church. Don't worry about what outfit you're going to wear to the mall. Don't worry about starting a New Year's resolution. Don't worry. Now that, that sounds easy, right? <laughs> but again, that would be in the category of some things are easier said than done. I mean, every single one of us have at least one spot in life that we worry about, something that we worry about. But that doesn't make it okay. You see, sometimes people might say, well, you know, everybody worries. I mean, no big deal. But it kind of is a big deal. Why? Well, Jesus says don't do it. <laughs> so that's kind of what makes it a big deal. See, the Bible speaks of worry as a sin. The Bible speaks of, of worry as ignoring God, as ignoring God's word, ignoring God's faithfulness, and ignoring God's power. But it's not just ignoring God. It, it's even a little bit further than that. It, it's as if our worry is worship. It's as if we are worshiping our circumstances or our potential circumstances as having more power than God. It's like we're singing hymns and singing songs to our worry and giving it power that it doesn't really have. Think about some of the normal attitudes that we have during the week. And then let's take some of those normal attitudes and let's just kind of apply them and reimagine them 
into the songs that we're singing today. Okay? They might go a little bit like this. Great is my mortgage payment, O credit union. There is no shadow of changing with thee. Now, when you're signing that check, you're not really singing. But if you're worrying, you're, you're not far off. What about this one? How firm a foundation is my retirement plan. I really don't know, but I'm scared I'll have to one day live in my van. You know? Songs about worry. About this one. Amazing game. I'm glad we won. But what if we don't win again? I'll be real sad and probably a little mad. And I'll eat half gallons of briars until I get a fifth chin. See, worry is worship. It's just not worship to God. Now, you may still say, what's the big deal? I mean, what's the big deal with worry? This is the word of the Lord to Moses, to the people of God, and to the people who can hear my voice, including myself. Exodus chapter 20, verses 3, 4, and 5. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not worship them or serve them. We all struggle with the temptation of worrying, but we can't think and act like it's no big deal. If we use the language of the Bible, if we use God's language, worry is idolatry. Worry is sin. It's, it's dangerous. It's discouraging. It's defeating. It can even be a little bit deadly. The word that, that Luke's using here for worry and, and quoting Jesus, it, it's a word that means to be divided or to be split. And so the, the picture here is that your yes and your no are on the table. But you're having a hard time figuring out which one to choose. And you become so anxious over the choice that your mind and your emotions begin to be strangled. Ever felt that way? <laughs> Maybe you're feeling that way this morning about something. So really we're not just avoiding stumbling you know, we're, we're not just avoiding, you know, spiritual clumsiness. We're not, we're not just avoiding tripping up. We're avoiding not letting worry and stress strangle us. It's a vivid word, vivid picture. And Jesus doesn't say we just need to avoid it. Jesus says, do not worry. He doesn't say, hey, cut down on your worrying. He doesn't say, hey, curb your worrying. He graciously commands us to stop worrying. And again, that's, that's easier said than done, right? So what's our motivation? Well, what's our motivation for, for not worrying? What's our motivation for having less stress and, and really trying to get rid of stress? Well, listen to what Jesus says next in verse 23. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. This may be hard for some of us to, to believe and understand, but, but life is more than just great bacon. It is. Life's, life's more than great bacon. Life's more than great cake. Life's more than a great restaurant. Life's more than a, a great pair of jeans or a great pair of boots. Life's more than a great necklace. Life's more than a great test grade. Life's more than a great promotion at job. Life's more than a great new car or a great new house. Life is more than a great retirement plan. So what does that mean? 
Well, again, the rich businessman had everything. He, he had it all. And yet then the time came for him to die, and, and all that he had became of no value. See, deep down, every human being knows that there is more to this life than having stuff and more to this life than just living and dying. A number of years ago, Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote a song about this. The second verse goes like this. He tells the story of someone. Tonight he lies in silence, staring into space, and looks for ways to make tomorrow better than today. But in the morning light, it all looks the same. Life just goes on. He takes care of his family, takes care of his work, and every Sunday morning, he takes his place at the church. And somehow he still feels a need to search. But life, life just goes on. Ever feel that way? (laughs) I do. I've had mornings where I wake up and the morning light looks the same. And I'm thinking, God, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? Why didn't this change? Why hasn't this been added? God, why is it all the same? Why, why is life just going on? Chapman proceeds to answer the question. So where do we start to find every part of what makes this life complete? Well, if we turn our eyes to Jesus, we'll find that life's true beginning is there at the cross where he died. And the reason why is because he died, and he goes on to say in the chorus, he died to bring us more to this life, more than living and dying, more than just trying to make it through the day, more to this life, more than these eyes alone can see, and there's more than this life alone can be. See, the manger and the cross and the empty tomb, those aren't just a cute fairy tale for you to feel good about on Sundays. The manger and the cross and the empty tomb are are not just a nice legend, a a nice myth, a a nice thing to help you make it through the holidays and and feel a little better about yourselves. No, the manger and the cross and the empty tomb are the hope for your life. They're the greatest hope in the universe. You see, every single person, every single path, every single product, every single promise will one day not be able to meet your greatest need. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, he is the only one who can meet your greatest need. And your greatest need is to be right with God. Only Jesus can make you right with God. Only Jesus can give you the kind of everlasting hope that will bust every single balloon of worry hanging over your head. But if you have not repented, if you've not received the salvation that comes from Jesus, then those balloons will never go away. They're always there. Now, you might be somebody that says, well, I mean, I'm not a Christian. I don't follow Jesus. I'm not very religious. But I don't worry. I'm pretty laid back. I'm I'm pretty cool. I I don't stress out about things. I I don't worry about things. If that's how your mind works, if if you would graciously allow me to to go back to Jesus' story just one more time and the rich businessman. See, the rich businessman, he had everything. he, He had everything. He probably didn't worry. He probably didn't have any stress. Life was good. And then in the middle of this story about his life, this is what Jesus says 
comes to this man, this news. This very night, your soul is required of you. See, the only person that wakes up on the other side of death and feels pretty cool and laid back is the person who has been believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus Christ. According to Jesus, the the person that does not repent, the person that does not receive his salvation, according to how Jesus talks, worry and stress and terror will follow them all the days of their lives, even the days after their life on this earth. I know what you're thinking. Wow. Well, happy new year to you too, you jerk. <laughs> it's heavy news. It's true. It's, it's, it's heavy, but it is exactly what Jesus says. And so even though it's heavy, I, I want us to hear how Jesus talks. I want us to hear what, what Jesus says. I want us to know that this is consistently how Jesus talked. This is consistently what Jesus said over and over again in different ways at different times. And one day Jesus said this in John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, though, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Life. That's what Jesus brings. Not stress, not worry, not anxiety. Jesus brings life, real life. Granted, the ultimate and most satisfying part of the life that Jesus brings comes after we die. That's true. But it's not just life one day, it's life today. So it's not just life and we're stumbling along, and it's not just life and we're getting strangled by worry and stress. It is life that we actually enjoy today. That is the life that Jesus brings. But that sounds so opposite in our entire culture here in South Carolina and around the world. John MacArthur writes this, This is the most indulged, the most lavish society ever. This is the most comfortable society ever. This is the society that has the most, but it seems to be the most angst-ridden, anxious, stressed-out, panicked culture ever. He says, we have a massive area of the medical world that exists to do nothing but help people with stress. No worry goes unnamed. No worry goes undefined. No worry goes uncatalogued. No worry goes undiagnosed. And no worry goes unmedicated. They just go unrelieved. People live with anxiety. They live with worry. They live with stress. But it's so common that we don't even talk about eliminating it. The term is to manage it. And he says this. Then Jesus comes along and he says, I'm not going to teach you how to manage your stress. I'll eliminate it. That's how Jesus taught. I'm here to eliminate your stress. So the question begs then, great, how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that, Jesus? How, How is it that you're going to take my stress away? How are you going to eliminate my stress? How are you going to help me not stress more? How is it that you're going to help me enjoy life today and tomorrow and the other days after that? Well, here's the thing. Jesus might eliminate your stress by giving you more money. I don't know. He might. Jesus might eliminate your stress by giving you better grades. Might. 
Jesus might eliminate your stress by giving you more bacon. He might do that. I don't know. He might eliminate your stress by giving you better clothes or a nicer retirement. He might. But he might not. See, the primary way that Jesus helps us eliminate stress is with truth. See, Jesus uses truth. Not, you know, a Disney fairy tale. That's not what Jesus uses. Not a a great ending to a, a romantic comedy movie. Jesus doesn't use a great stock tip. He he doesn't use a great win by your favorite team to help you eliminate stress. That's not what he uses. He uses truth. He uses the kind of truth that's good on Sunday, and it's good on Wednesday, and it's good on Christmas Day, and it's good on New Year's Day, and it's good on Arbor Day, and it's good 10,000 trillion days after your last day on earth. And it's good on your last day on earth. It's truth. It's not magical. It's not mystical. It's not hard to comprehend. In fact, it is simple truth. It is clear truth. And even a child can understand it. So what is that truth? Listen to what Jesus says next. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Jesus doesn't say God is going to provide for the pretty Christmas turtle doves. That's not what he says. He says God's going to provide for the ravens. In Bible times, ravens were unclean animals. And so the picture is amazing, right? If God's going to take care of the unclean ravens who can be annoying, aggravating scavengers, then God is going to take care of you. Now that doesn't mean that the ravens sitting around in a lazy bird recliner, you know, watching reruns of Wings and never doing anything. Now, birds are active. They're they're always on the move. They're always in motion. Birds are always swooping down trying to find worms or or swooping down into your backyard to see if you filled up the bird feeder. But God is the one that's providing for them. God is making it all happen. Now, someone might say, hey, look, I bought the bird feeder. I bought the feed that goes in the bird feeder, and I'm the one that goes out every day and puts the the feed in that bird feeder. So technically, I'm the one that's providing for the birds. All right, I'll go around with you on that. About 10 years ago, two scientists estimated that there's probably 200 to 400 billion individual birds on the planet. So until you're able to provide 50 billion bird feeders... And all the feed that would go into all those bird feeders for, let's just say, the next 200 years, let's just say, great job feeding the birds in your backyard, but let's graciously assume that you are not God. See, we can provide a little bit, but that's not the picture. The picture is the one that provides for all. See, the real question that Jesus is putting before his disciples here is pretty simple, and it's not just a question he's putting before the disciples. It's a question he's putting before me and you right now. And that question is this. Do you really believe that God is the one who provides for you? Do you really believe that God is your provider? Do you really believe you're dependent on God? Do you really believe that without God, you would have no ability, no talent, no skills, 
No money, no house, no car, no grades, no nothing. Do you really believe that you are dependent on God for all things? Or do you normally think, hey, what I have is mine and, and I earned it and, you know, it's, it's my stuff. Nobody gave it to me. Jesus consistently talks in a way to pull us away from that. So just so you'll know, if your life is mostly defined with pride that says, it's mine, I earned it, you're walking away from Jesus. Because Jesus is always pulling us away from that. He's always pulling us to what it means to have a true, humble life. He's pulling us into a life of humility. Because when we're pulled into a life of pride, there are two outfits that pride wears in our life. And that's the outfit of worry and the outfit of greed. Greed, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about worry, and I thought we were talking about stress. What what does greed have to do with any of it? When I'm worrying about going back to school this week, what's it got to do with greed? When I'm worrying about having to go back to work this week, what does that have to do with greed? When I'm worrying about where my next meal is coming from or or where we're going to eat next Friday night, what does that have to do with greed? When I'm worrying about my outfit or or what I'm going to wear to church or what I'm going to wear to the mall, what does that have to do with greed? When I'm worried about my retirement plan, when I'm worried about my favorite team, when I'm worried, worried, and worried, when I'm worried about the state of our nation, how, how is that greed? David Guzik says this, greed and worry are closely connected. Greed can never get enough. Worry is afraid it will never have enough. And neither have their eyes on Jesus. See, that's the rub right there for us as Christians. See, that's where worry for us as believers gets defeating and dangerous. Because what we do when we worry, we are choosing our worry. We're actually choosing to, to strangle our mind and our emotions instead of choosing Jesus. Or put another way, we're choosing to worship our circumstances instead of worshiping Jesus. Somebody put it this way. Christians who worry believe God can redeem them, break the shackles of Satan, take them from hell to heaven, put them into his kingdom, and give them eternal life. They just don't think he can get them through the next couple of days. (laughs) Ouch, right? I mean, we've all been there. We've we've all been in this moment where where we go, I I just I don't know what's gonna happen next. Now, I'll say this. I used to stress out a lot more as a pastor in previous years. I don't stress much as a pastor anymore, mostly because a great staff and a fantastic church and just a lot of cool things that God's doing. So I just want you to know how thankful I am for you because you, you have created so much less stress in my life than I've put on myself over the years. And don't get me wrong, I, I still put some stress on myself. But, but the reality is I don't stress out as a pastor like I used to. But you know what I do stress out a little? I stress out more as a parent now. <laughs> a little more as a parent, you know. And so, so it's a constant battle. It's a, it's a constant fight. But I hope I never get to the point where I go, ah, it's no big deal. Why? Because Jesus said, just don't do it. Don't go there anymore. Don't stress. Stop stressing out. That's how Jesus talks. So again, easier said than done. So So again, we ask the question, well, how? I mean, that sounds impossible. It sounds impossible to no longer stress out. So so how in the world am I supposed to do that? I'm going to try to keep it really simple. 
It sounds impossible, but it's very possible. But it is not easy. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes energy. But it can all be boiled down to a couple of things. Look at the birds. And listen to Jesus. Look at the birds and listen to Jesus. And keep on doing that over and over and over and over again. Why? Because God is going to provide for the birds. God's going to provide for ravens and crows and turkey buzzards. All right? So so if God's going to provide for them, then he will provide for you. Why? Because Jesus said, you are more valuable to God than birds. Well, how do we know that's true? Because God sent his son to absorb the penalty of your sin. God sent his son to to sacrifice himself so that death does not have to be the period on the end of your sentence, but that the sting of death could be removed, that real life, abundant life, could be poured into your heart and your mind and your soul today and forever. God has done that. And the promise that that comes from Jesus is that if you are believing in him and trusting in him and relying on him and clinging to him, the eternal, everlasting hope, the eternal, everlasting life that he has promised will not just be yours forever, but it will actually satisfy your soul today in the middle of your stress. I loved what we sang today. Because as this new year begins, for my worry, for my stress, I needed to sing, the flame will not hurt you, Dow. No matter what's next, no matter what's this afternoon, or next week, or next month, the flame will not hurt you. Because you're leaning on Jesus, so lean harder. Lean more. You might ask, but but what if I get sick? What if I get a disease? What if I, I go to a foreign land and I, and I starve to death? What if I, what if I go to a foreign land and, and, I, and I freeze to death? What if I lose my job? What if, I, what if I flunk out of school? What if I crash my car? What if, what if, what if? Fill in the blank with anything you want. And the response will keep coming back. There's more to this life than all of those things. And there's more to this life than living and dying. And Jesus has died to give us more to this life. Your life is more. Your life is more. Because your death is more. Because Jesus is more. He's more. So for 2017, don't stumble. Let us do everything we can not to strangle ourselves with our emotions, to strangle ourselves with our worry and our stress. But let us truly turn our eyes upon Jesus and let us keep listening to him because he will keep telling us, look at the birds. Look at the birds. Look at the birds.